You're listening to the Alternative Investment Podcast. We give you the insights and strategies you need to grow your wealth with alternative investments. Now, here's your host, Andy Hagens. Welcome to the show. I'm Andy Hagens, and today we're talking about storytelling, a very underrated, uh, maybe underappreciated concept in the world of asset management. And joining me today is Chris Sullivan, president at Craft and Capital. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Happy to be here. And we have a lot to talk about today, you know, talking about marketing, capital raising, fundraising, all that stuff. But why don't we start with your company? Because you recently did a rebrand as Craft and Capital. So can you tell us about the old company as well as the new company? Yeah, happy to. So the firm over here was actually founded in 1996 as Macmillan Communications, and we operated under that brand for 27 years. Uh, I actually took over the ownership and operation in 2018. And at that point, rebranding was going to be a 2020 project. 2020 happened. So it got put on the back burner for a little while. But we we got back into it at the midpoint of last year and really through a, a team effort involving our staff, our clients, contacts in the media, brainstormed quite a few different um, concepts, looks, and names before landing on Craft and Capital, which we're really happy with. The response, the feedback has been great. Um, and the thinking behind it is that what we do really is a craft. You know, we are not a, a blunt instrument here. There's a lot of thought, a lot of creativity, a lot of strategy, a lot of hard work. And the capital, you know, we think of that in a few different ways that can refer to the capital that we are bringing to the equation, meaning our expertise and our relationships. And obviously, as a finance only PR firm, having some kind of finance term helps in the name. Totally. Yeah, I have to congratulate you on that name. And it's it's sort of on topic because craft and capital, when I hear that, the name, the brand name itself starts to tell a story or and it also it kind of piques my curiosity. Like I, I I heard it and not to brag, Chris, not to brag, but I kind of got it right away. Like I I kind of get no, it. No brag, please yeah. brag. That's great. <laughs> no, I I kind of got it right away, but I'm like, I it tells a story, but you know. Thinking of your old brand, Mac- Macmillan Communications, it's like I, I kind of I kind of understand what that is, but it's very generic. Like I, I don't I don't know what industry that's in, and you know, it's not really leading me anywhere. Whereas I hear craft and capital, it's like, well, now I have a question, like in a good way, like it, you know, mm-hmm. so it engages me. And you know, leading into our topic today, you know, when I say storytelling, even I I, I guess I have a confession to make, even you know, 10 years ago, like, like I'm a marketing guy. I'm a marketing guy and a finance guy. I kind of live between these two worlds. And I really all in my twenties, I worked with these startups and we, we exited four of them. My partners and I, we consecutively, you know, created, scaled and sold four different startups. And three of them were in the direct marketing space, mm-hmm. direct marketing. And I always kind of underrated the power of branding. And I, I, I think I had to like learn that lesson by trial and error, like by my own stupidity, like kind of refusing to see like the short term versus the long term. Yeah. And now sitting here, you know, many years later, 
I kind of feel like I, I, I think I've realized like, wow, that's where the real money is made, like the real long term money, the power of the brand. How do you think that, you know, that, that my thesis, I guess, that branding and implicit in that storytelling, that's where the real money is made. How many people in the asset management industry do you think agree with my thesis or my belief? I would say it's a growing number especially over the last few years. I think you know, we're definitely talking with more people who realize the power of brand. But I think for us, brand is, that's the starting point. And so in, in our line of work, which is kind of, I put it adjacent to marketing. You know, when we're working with clients, we want to make sure we're very plugged into their marketing people contributing thoughts on marketing, hearing about their marketing plans. But for, for public relations and communications, I think brand is leveraged in a much different way. And, you know, really at a high level, it's to showcase expertise. It's to showcase problem solving. It's to showcase solutions. So having a strong brand that can really start to tell that story for you is great. Um, but really, it's kind of what do you build off of that brand? That really needs to be the next question. And I know we're going to get into this, but then who and how are you going to be communicating with, for, and through? Those are all really the the next questions you need to ask once you have that brand in place so you can really get out there and, and start to leverage what you're building. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned you know, that bigger picture because obviously you work in communications sort of adjacent to marketing, you know, from my standpoint, I mean, it's, 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 to me, it's, it's all the same thing in the sense that it's strategic and it, it all ultimately needs to be aligned, right. With, with that top level strategy. And at the end of the day, if you have a unique edge, like in asset management, you're going to need some sort of edge. You're going to need some mm -hmm. sort of niche, like thing that you're best at. You're going to need to clearly communicate that and like, tell that story over and over and get a lot of people to believe it. And that's why they give you money. And if you want to run a profitable, profitable business, you want their money, right? You want to raise a ton of capital, deploy a ton of capital. If you're running an ETF, you know, do you want 50 million in AUM or do you want a billion in AUM, right? Like that's a matter of, you know, do you have that unique niche? If you do, you know, are, are you the best at that segment? What's that story? And then how do you tell that story over and over? And, you know, with marketing, yeah. you're telling that story with paid media and communications. Maybe that's more strategic where it's maybe can inform some marketing and then there's earned media. I guess how do those fit together? Yeah. You know, no, it's a great question. And it's one that we talk about a lot with current clients, prospective clients. You know, how, how do you think about what it is you're trying to communicate and all the different ways that you have? through which to communicate. So our primary focus over here has historically been on what we would call the earned media. So that is the, at a high level. That's you right now, Chris, this is earned media, right? Because yes, you're, I am, you're I am on earning, this. earning yeah. this media as we yeah. are speaking. Uh, but what it really refers to is getting out there and talking to people who have a third-party platform, whether that's a journalist, a blogger, a podcaster, Really, you know, the 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 number and the definitions are, have gotten so uh, large over the years. But finding those people who have an audience and who want to talk with you, and who through their platform are going to be am able to amplify your message and get that in front of people that you are trying to reach. So, 
For us over here, you know, that could involve arranging interviews with the Wall Street Journal and Barron's. It could involve doing what we're doing right now, finding a popular podcast, putting somebody on there, portfolio manager, CIO, whatever role they're in. Um, it can involve radio. It can involve events. But really, at the end of the day, what it is, is something where the client is not cutting a check to participate in that conversation. That's really the earned media side of things. Mm -hmm. There are other aspects to PR where you can get into sponsored content. I have a relatively dim view on sponsored content, which we can get into if you want. Um, but then there, there are also the owned media channels. And I think this is one that we're, we're really excited about and we've seen a ton of growth and attention being paid to this by asset managers, particularly over the last three to five years realizing that yes your your owned channels can be just as if not more impactful than what you're out there earning through your thought leadership the, the money is in the list right i mean yeah. that's <laughs> exactly exactly but the the key thing with with your owned channels is it has got to be interesting it cannot just be your sales speak refreshed, rehashed a hundred different ways, you have to bring something to the table that's going to keep people engaged. Mm -hmm. And you often have to do it in a few different ways. And that's why we're seeing a lot of clients and, and others in the industry who are, you know, yes, they've been blogging. They've probably been blogging for a while. That's table stakes at this point, but they're launching really interesting podcasts. They're doing a lot of creative things on social media and they're actually building their own voice so it's not really being thought of as a, as a sales mechanism where everything is, you know, here's this piece of content, ergo buy this fund. There are educational aspects that they're bringing to it. They're connecting with people outside of their own organizations and interviewing them on their podcasts. They're putting together educational white papers. They're really doing all they can to showcase the thought leadership that they possess with the marketing folks then also having some functions in place where you are driving people back to the solutions, to the products, because at the end of the day, that is still what it's all about. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of creative ways that you can combine all these different facets to build an overall communications plan. Totally. Yeah. I'm thinking of uh, like Gary Vaynerchuk. I think his thing is, is like jab, jab, right hook, which is you know, the right hook is, you, you know, you, you at the end of the day, you do want to ask for money. You want to make a sale. You want to raise the capital or whatever. But the jab, jab, jab is building trust, telling the story over and over. And by the time you get to the ask or by the time you have, we launched our new fund, when you have this reservoir of trust and engagement and investors who already believe the story, then the right hook is almost like effortless. You know, I don't know how far I can stretch this boxing metaphor, but well, it's... <laughs> I, I actually, I like that one. I also have mixed opinions on Gary Vee, but we'll, we'll leave that out just in case he ends up watching this. Um, sure. So I, I would actually say it's, it's very similar when you're talking on the earned media side of the equation with how you're interacting with, with a journalist, it can't be a sales pitch. Journalists will, they just turn off to that immediately. You know, they are, 
they're not stenographers, right? They're not there to write down your key talking points and turn around and then share them with the world with, you know, just glowing praise. They're there to report. They're there to find something interesting. They're there to find information on trends. They're there to teach people about something they don't already know about or solve a problem that they you know, are looking for solutions to. So ideally what happens in that case, you know, jab, jab, you know, I would say that is us and our clients providing them with those insights, answering those questions. Ideally, we never have to throw any hooks because it's not a, a battle kind of situation. They've built that trust and experience with our client. They're calling them up then and saying, look, I'm putting together this round table or I need a guest for my podcast, or I'm going on a TV show and I'd love to have you come on and, and speak with me. So, you know, maybe we get out of the you know, sort of adversarial kind of metaphors and we turn <laughs> yeah. it into more of, the, it's a relationship. Well, so, no, no I, you, within communications, totally. But all, all that I mean is, you know, if 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 the sales team is is collecting the harvest, you know, this communications, the storytelling, the the like regular content production, the relationship building, the owned channels, the earned media, it's all fertilizing the soil, making it very, very fertile. And it's like, then when you comes time to harvest the crop, it's just, it's so much easier. Like there ultimately is a sales team or a sale occurring, but, but the point is, is that can be very tough and involved when it's, when it's like that sales representative or, or that rep or, is it starting from zero with like no trust, no brand awareness, no, no knowledge of who your product or brand is in the marketplace? Or is it starting with like, let me take a Tucrium. We've had Tucrium on the show, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like anyone in the ETF world, like you kind of know who Tucrium is like, oh yeah, they're the, the corn ETF guys or what, you know, whatever, like you, and, and they've been around for a long time and like they have this niche and they, you know, they produce content. Like that's just an example of, you know, a, a brand like in an industry that people are going to recognize. Um, and so, you know, I guess that's that's more what I'm I'm not talking about the right hook in the context of communications, like that you ever need to, to sell a journalist. I mean, I, I totally agree in the sense that within communications with the relationship building, you have to look at it from the other side. What is this journalist incentive? It's not how not how they're helping me. How am I helping them? Because if I yeah. help them then next time they have a story, who are they going to call first? They're going to call the people that help them, right? Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's a powerful lesson that we we do have to teach quite a few people when we're starting with them. And I think, you know, part of it, and I know we talked about this as we were prepping for this conversation, but you do see this mindset of, um, well, journalists are to be avoided, uh, really coming out of the alt space, right? Because for years, people who've been in, hedge funds or private equity or VC, you know, there really wasn't much of an incentive to engage with the press, given the way that their businesses were structured and the really kind of small pool of investors that they were trying to connect with. It's all, all downside, there, there no regulatory. upside. Yeah. There, and there were regulatory concerns. I mean, mm -hmm. some of that changed with the, the Jobs Act 10 years ago, although not, not as much as I think people might have expected. But now there is this real, you know, we're, we're past the inflection point now of alternatives being everywhere. You know, they are very much a mainstream product at this point. And even calling them an alternative is, is probably something of a misnomer because these are mainstream approaches. 
but you do have people who are kind of coming from that mindset of, you know, we need to either be super controlled in the environment and the questions, and we want to review the article before it publishes, and we want to check quotes and all these things that most journalists will never allow you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you kind of have to guide them through this process and help them understand that, well, you don't know, no, the, the press isn't your enemy. You know, they're not your friend, but they're not necessarily your enemy. And if you approach those kinds of relationships from an almost adversarial perspective, it's going to be really hard to build the relationship that you're trying to build. And you're not even going to be able to get to the point that we're talking about here where you are able to tell that story and reinforce that narrative and put your positioning out there and have that shine through in the resulting coverage because you're not going to get past the starting line. Right. Yeah, it, totally. And if if you, I mean, to me, there's really, I guess if I'm distilling it, there's two pieces. Clarify your story, you know, understand it and know it yourself. It, and it needs to be something with product market fit, mm-hmm. right? Like, so you might know your story, but nobody cares or nobody wants it. So you have a story that has product market fit and you've clarified it and you understand it. By the way, just that part is really hard. I, I'll get back, back to that in a second. But then there's the other part of then you go out and you consistently, you know, tell it over and over. So, you know, maybe to the point where you're bored to tears with it, but that doesn't mean that the marketplace is bored to tears with it. And, you know, the, the value of that, like back to my example with like Tukriam, the fact that they stick out in my mind, like I just remember them and who they are, that to me is enterprise value that you know, the longer you stay in business, it just grows and grows and grows. Yeah. That's how you wake up one day and you're like, we, you know, we have a, a nine figure or or 10 figure enterprise value type company. But I actually want to get back to the process of clarifying your brand story. Mm-hmm. I think this is so hard. Well, I'll put it this way. You know, Chris, I have all these guests on my show. This is I don't know exactly what episode this is. I think I'm in the 130s and I've had so many interesting, you know, financial leaders, titans on the show and they're usually way smarter than I am, but I view it as my job as is almost like to tell a story. Like I want to find out what's interesting about this product segment or this asset manager and tell that story. And I feel like for me, it's almost easier because, you know, I kind of have those objective outside eyes. I can kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like I can look at some press releases. I can look at the website. I can dig through the product. And like, I can usually kind of right away be like, oh, well, that's interesting. And this is interesting. And that's the hook. It's harder for them. And yeah. so it's, it, you know, it's almost like, well, this is easy. But then I think about if someone asked me, Andy, what is it that you do? What makes you unique? What's the, what's the story of your brand? I'm like, uh, I guess I have like a podcast and a microphone, you know, it's, it's, it's like a cop cop cobbler's children have no shoes problem. Like it's so hard to do it to your, to yourself and to your own company. Do you find that that's a repeating theme when you're working with clients? Yes. I think where we often encounter people who are, are challenged on exactly that front is because they're operating in kind of a closed loop. And so the feedback they're getting is from people who already have heard the story, or maybe they help create the story, or they've been a part of the story for a long time. You you need to bring in some outside voices. And I'm not saying like you need to hire a PR firm, though that's a great idea. Uh, you, you should connect with people who are outside of your own organization, and you should ask them 
you know, I, I would go back to our own rebrand. You know, you remember at the start, I said it, it wasn't just an internal discussion here. We had clients, we had prospects, we had journalists. So, you know, people who are on that other side of the phone call that we're trying to connect with and have them talk to people. You know, what do you think about us? When you encounter us, our team, our experts, what are your reactions? You know, even down to like a visceral level. Like if you see my phone number pop up and your caller ID, are you like, oh no, this guy? Or, you know, are you <laughs> like, okay, you know, I recognize that. I know Chris has helped me out with some stuff. He's connected yeah. with good people. Yeah. You know, really getting that kind of third party, and it, it's got to be honest feedback. That's really where we we try to help people start because we we encounter people and who so are really- Chris, one theme there, one interesting theme, you know, I want to pull out is like almost people without skin in the game. Yeah. Like, 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 because when you have an idea internally and you thought of it and the idea objectively stinks, it's just, it's hard to really come around to that fact, you, you know? And like, if you work with coworkers and they're like, oh, I remember that was Andy's idea. They're like, well, I don't want to hurt Andy's feeling, you know? So that, that, that outsider, like, well, almost no skin in the game. They can just be right away like, well, that idea is garbage. And that yeah. second thing, I just don't even understand what the heck that means. Yep. And the third thing I love, and you didn't even know the third thing was even that important. And they're seizing on it. And they're like, yes, that's the thing. Yeah, that kind of feedback is is huge. And that's that's really what you need. Because what I was saying was we really encounter groups that are at two different phases when, when we're talking about what we're talking about right now. Either they are a startup and they're just getting ready to get out there and they're trying to figure out who are we? What makes us different? What makes us unique? Why are we doing this? And why should anyone care? In a lot of ways, that's that's the easier project because you have effectively a blank slate. You'll have a lot to work with. You'll have the people, their backgrounds, their ideas, all the all the building blocks will be there but you can kind of, in, in our role, step in as a bit of a guide and, and just help to bring some clarity to all of it and figure out some different themes and narratives and talking points. Other instances, you encounter people and, and teams that maybe they've been around for a little while. Maybe they've got a track record. They've got a family of funds or they've got some strategies that have been out there for a while. And they're starting to ask the question, you know, why, why aren't we getting more attention? Why aren't we getting more calls? Why aren't we making more sales? And so they'll start to look at these questions. And here you can have a lot of just institutional memory that you have to push back against. And you can have kind of internal politics that can sometimes slow things down. But you do need those impartial third-party eyes to come in and say, all right, look, when I see what you're you know, putting out there and when I hear you tell this story... This is what I hear, and this is who it reminds me of, or these are the questions that it leaves me with. That will often kind of get them out of their own bubble and get them thinking about things from a different angle. And then you can really start to seize on, again, those narratives, those through lines that you want to make part of your ongoing narrative. And, and just going back to one of the things you said before about repetition and sometimes feeling like, oh man, like I can't say the same things over and over again. Our, our advice and our coaching for people is always looking to be repetitive without being robotic. You know, you don't want to just keep spouting the same three talking points over and over and over again. You'll get bored. Journalists will get bored. Marketplace will get bored. 
you need some coaching, you need some practice, you need some work with people that will help tee you up with your communication skills. So you can still seed those main points in all of your dialogue, but you're not saying it the exact same way every single time. That's so hard, Chris. I mean, I can tell you, it. I mean, here's the interesting thing, you know, talking about companies that like get it or don't get it, or like you mentioned, you know, compliance departments. I get, I could go on my, my own story, you know, with, with dealing with that as a podcaster. Short answer to the question is no. Uh, but, you know, thinking about, I launched this podcast with Jimmy over a year and a half ago. My guests have all been fantastic. But for the first 50 to 75 episodes, I was rough. I mean, the guest, every guest I've had has shared very good information and it's been interesting, but it took me like, and I'm not even saying I'm great now, but I, when I go back and listen to my first 50 episodes, mm. I cringe, Chris, I cringe. So it just, it takes time to get comfortable thinking on your feet, speaking on your feet. That's really hard. I mean, so you know, when you're coaching clients, it's like, do they even have enough reps in, you know, or is that, is that like just take years to kind of, to get the reps in? Hopefully it doesn't take years, but it's rare to have somebody who's a natural. I mean, to, to your point, I'm going to watch this afterwards. I'm going to cringe too. I'm sure <laughs> like more than a dozen different things I said, or the way I said them, we're very much in a those who can't do teach kind of moment. The here. cobbler's <laughs> children have no shoes, yeah. Chris. That's my that's a being on a podcast. I don't, I don't quite know what, <laughs> what happened here, but we're, we're here and we, we got to ride this out. But yep. um, yeah, there are very few people out there who are naturals. They do exist, but most of the people that you're going to see encounter, you know, listen to, they have had a ton of coaching, a ton of training, and a ton of practice. There is a lot of work that needs to go into getting someone ready to be out there telling these stories. Um, you know, that is something that we also work on behind the scenes with people through media training. And some people are going to need more than others. Also, as part of a broader kind of PR plan, what we will often bake in are some opportunities with you know, call them, call them friendlier audiences. You don't want to throw somebody to the wolves right away. You know, you want to have them get their that's rep. Why, Chris, that's why PR reps love me They're, You know, I'm, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm not a pushover, but mm -hmm. I'm, I, I feel like I'm friendly media in the sense that I like alternatives. I like ETFs. I like alternative ETFs. I like private equity funds. I don't think hedge funds are evil or the devil, you know? So, you know, programs like this one, yeah, I got to say I'm pretty friendly, right? Yeah. That's, it's why we <laughs> talk a lot, Andy, but, <laughs> but, but there, there are others out there and it's, it, it's also good to just have some mock interviews. We do a ton of those with clients where we will, we'll kind of recreate the, the environment that we're in right now, or we'll have them come in and we'll sit across the table from them. We've got some ex journalists on the team here who, you know, they were in that role. They were playing that kind of step skeptical, uh, you know, interviewer. And so we will put them through their paces. We'll give them the chance to tell the story, but we'll throw some curveball questions their way. We'll ask them some things that we know their compliance in no way, shape or form wants them to touch so we can teach them how to pivot, how to stay on message, 
how to answer a question without, you know, necessarily answering it, but still making the reporter feel like they're coming away with something and they're not just being kind of steered in one direction. Um, but it is, you know, very true that the people, you know, you turn on CNBC, you turn on Bloomberg TV, you look at the guests, and you're like, oh, they're so comfortable. Like that person just, they've been trained. They have been trained and trained and trained. And when they go back to their office, there's somebody who's going to sit down with them and watch that video and critique them and give them feedback. So the next time they're even more prepared than the time they were before. Uh, it's a it's a lot of behind the scenes work, but it pays off because there is, you know, there's a few reasons you encounter a lot of people again and again in financial media. One of them is just being a good interview, being human, having a personality, again, repetitive without robotic, but that takes practice, that takes time, and it takes a lot of coaching. Yeah, you have to be able to, you know, smile and, you know, have a, have a human moment. Yeah, yeah I mean, in the, my point earlier about, you know, running the podcast is that's hard. It takes time to be comfortable, mm -hmm. right? It's just very natural for a human to be nervous the first 10, 20, 30, however many times they do something. So, it, but I mean, my advice for what it's worth is kind of embrace it. Like when I kind of realized, well, I think this podcast could be good, but I need to get more comfortable. I was like, well, why don't I start doing more than one episode a week? Mm -hmm. It's just almost like exposure therapy. The other thing I realized was you can pick your channel. So like if, if I'm, if I were an asset manager and you know, you have all these channels, I mean, I do kind of think you want to do more than one. And there's some that you, you definitely want, like you want to have an email list. I'll tell everybody that if you don't have an email yeah. list, then <laughs> do not, do not pass go, you know, <laughs> but you can pick a media, a medium, excuse me, that you're naturally attracted to mm -hmm. and like. That, that's okay. Like it can even be a, a good thing because when you're excited to be somewhere and you're more comfortable and more passionate, I think that kind of shines through, right? I would say so. I, I would say we generally counsel people though, to be prepared to be on a lot of different types of media. You need to be kind of omni-channel when you're thinking about financial communications these days. Yeah. So if you are most comfortable going on podcasts, great lean into that. There are a number of great podcasts out there and it's a great chance to get into the longer form of your story. Not everybody listens to podcasts. So you are also going to need to explore the other channels that are out there, whether that's print, digital, streaming, TV, radio, all those things we were talking about before. The bigger question though, I think before you even start thinking about what kind of media you're going to engage with is where is your audience? Who are you trying to reach? Because you can spend a ton of time doing media and really have it be the wrong kind of media. You know, if your focus and your goal is to connect with the family office or the multifamily office community, and you're not in those channels where the family office folks are consuming news and learning about ideas, you're, you're missing your window. You're talking to people who probably aren't the right targets for what it is you're trying to teach them about. The people who are out there who could benefit from what it is you have to talk about don't know you're there. Right. So, so if you're if you're trying to reach a family office, you want to be in Barron's, you want to be in IREI magazine, you might want to be on this show. You're just mm -hmm. going to be very niche specific 
media that have much smaller reach numerically, but it's, it's hitting the right people, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we often find you get more impact, like, like in the asset management world, everyone reads ignites, you know, outside of the asset management world, no one reads ignites. They have no idea what ignites is. They probably think it's like an electrician magazine or something like that. But in this business, everyone reads it. So for a lot of our clients, coverage in Ignites can be just as, if not more impactful than a Wall Street Journal piece. I would never say no to positive Wall Street Journal coverage. It's still extremely important. But these niche trades can carry so much weight because as we like to say, like nobody's ever reading that by accident. Nobody's ever just you know going to that site to flip through it. They get their newsletter every morning. They look at those headlines. They see what's being covered, and it sparks a debate. So making sure you understand who your audience is and how to reach them is, is probably an even more important starting point than figuring out what kind of media you're going to be most comfortable with. I think comfort level is definitely important, but ideally with some practice and with that understanding of your audience, you know, the spokespeople can develop a comfort level across all different kinds of environments where they can yeah. be comfortable on the phone, in person, recording, TV, you name it. They've been, you know, practiced and, and coached so they can really succeed in any one of those environments. Yeah. I mean, that's, I can't argue with that point, Chris. I think you, you basically just told me, Andy, go fishing where the fish are. And I'm like, well, it helps. Yeah, if I, <laughs> it really yeah that's that's probably a good good tip. That's a good point. Why well, I, I want to ask about specific mediums, media mediums. I shoot, I don't know. Uh, but because because here's my thesis: there are certain medium mediums that are very prestigious. Mm -hmm. They have like at least in the near term, almost no effect. Like, let me give an example. You know, you could be on national radio. Like we've been on national radio. We've been on national television. You could mention like, oh, we're having an event, you know, go to this webpage and like literally it's zero or like one or two. And it's like, wow, that was, mm -hmm. that was Bloomberg or that was NPR national, like, like a zero really. Or like, maybe it's just like a trickle. Um, and then conversely, you could be mentioned in some like little email newsletter. Maybe I'm kind of showing my hand here with these examples, but you could be shown in some, you know, linked to in some little e email newsletter that you've never even heard of. Yeah. And it's like, boom, 20 conversions or 10 new clients or 20 new investors. And so it's like, wow, I, the perceived value of the TV is huge, but yet it had almost no effect. And then email, you know, people like roll their eyes. And I'm like, well, that actually you know, drive sales, but maybe, maybe it's also you know, kind of a horses for courses thing, because I think when you're, when your brand is on national TV from a brand, people recognize that builds authority and trust, or when you're in the wall street journal, I mean, to me, that's just like a, it's like a stamp of approval, a stamp yep. of trust and authority. So how, you know, how do you, how do you know, let me, let me start with TV. You know, you think TV is overrated, underrated, national TV, cable TV? I th I don't think it's overrated. I think there can be overemphasis on it in, in some people's minds. Uh, we, we have definitely talked to people who are like, all I want is TV. That's all I want to do. I just want to be on CNBC. All this other stuff doesn't matter to me. And, you know, we'll, we'll generally not 
work with someone for whom that's the mindset because CNBC is great. We do a ton with CNBC. We have people on CNBC, you know, every day, people on their weekly ETF show on all the other shows, um, because you do get that stamp of approval being part of their coverage, even more so when you can become a regular part of their coverage. Because what, what's often challenging with TV is when TV is a one-off, because you, you don't know who actually caught it. You know, sometimes, and, and there's there's a broader question that we should probably touch on too, like what do you do with your coverage once you've gotten your coverage? Um, you know, how do you leverage it? So if- Brag it about it. Show it off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's the yeah. simple answer. If, yeah. Not everybody's going to be tuned in at the right time to catch yeah. you live. So, you know, A, if you know you're going to be on, you should promote it, get the word out through all your channels. You know, catch me at 2 p.m. on this show talking about this as soon as you're done and can get the link. You know, send that out to people. Hey, in case you missed it, I was on doing this. Put it on your social, get it on your LinkedIn, get it on your and Twitter. See, now, Chris, that's so interesting because that's more. That, that's more leveraging the third party authority of the TV channel and the the you know the prestige that that mm -hmm. re reflects onto your brand back to your existing audience and I mean maybe yeah. you pick up some like that's the value to that is huge but like that's probably a misperception that people have about TV yeah. like oh millions of new people will hear about my brand and my website will crash because it'll get so much traffic. Not usually, no. You know, it's, <laughs> and, it, and I think really at the heart of this is people need to understand this is a long game. There is no one magic media appearance that is going to open the floodgates, solve all your problems, have you hit your AUM targets. It needs to be part of a longer term plan that really does hit on all these different aspects that we've been talking about. But no, I, I love TV. We emphasize TV. TV is great for a, you know branding purposes. And frankly, TV, it's a great ego boost. When you I was just going to say, Chris, I want to be on TV because I want yeah. I want my ego to be rubbed. You know, it's exactly. And it's, yeah. you know, it can't just be, it can't just yeah. be an ego play, you know, and, and that's one of the things too, that we always tell people is you, you can't just do PR for PR's sake because you're, you're just going to waste everybody's time. There's got to be a business reason why you're doing this. But, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of TV. We continue to emphasize it, but I'm also to some of our earlier points, we're really focused though on where is the audience? Yes, they might have CNBC on, but more likely you're going to catch them with ignites. You're going to catch them with like a super you know, hyper-focused newsletter, like mutual fund wire that goes out every morning and afternoon. You're, you're going to catch them on, on with intelligence or ETF.com or ETF express, or, you know, other, other places where people do go for news and they go there because they work in the space or they follow the space. And they're going to be more inclined to spend the time to read about what it is you're, you're trying to tell them. But I think for us, you know, we will weight different types of media based on client needs and client wants, but mm -hmm. it really does come back to where's the audience, but also that larger question of what can we do with this once we've made it happen? Once that right. TV interview's out there, once that podcast is posted, that roundtable is written, what comes next? And I that see, you know, the business, the business, uh, the business case. How is this fitting into to, to the bigger picture? 
yeah. be elaborate. Yeah, no, I totally get it because you're right. The, the the ego strokes are fun, but ultimately, it, you know, needs to be more than that. Okay, we don't have a ton of time. I want to go few uh, uh, go through a few more yeah uh, different mediums if we could. And I, Chris, I want you to be blunt. You're not going to hurt my feelings. How about podcasts? How do those compare to you know TV? Give uh, it to me straight. It depends on the podcast. And I, I think that's, you know, I think that's really true because there, there are so many podcasts and we are honestly, we're too many. Are there too many? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's late in the afternoon. I haven't had enough yeah. coffee today. I'm just going to be blunt. Yeah. There are yes. two podcasts. There are too many podcasts. And I think the, the issue with podcasts, and this is another area where a firm like ours can help different types of clients. You've got to figure out which ones matter, which ones are impactful, because you could, if you work in investment management, you could literally spend every working hour on a podcast to say nothing about the amount of time you could spend listening to all the different podcasts. So you've got to figure out which ones are, again, going to reach the right audience. So it's not just an ego boost to say, I was on this podcast. You know, you've got to understand you know, who have they had on? What is the host's style? What is their distribution approach? Data around you know, listeners and views is often really hard to come by, but what can you figure out and suss out? And if you know someone who's been on, Ask them, what feedback did you get? Did you hear from people afterwards? When you guys put this on your social channels, did you get a lot of you know clicks, listens, likes, reposts, you know, whatever metric you want to use? Try to really figure out what the value is going to be. Because you know, at the end of the day, for all of our clients, time is really in short supply. So we've got to make sure whether it's a podcast or anything else. If we're going to put it in front of them and say, we want you to do this, we've got to make the case to them because, you know, doing media, doing podcasts is just one small part of their job. They're running portfolios. They're doing roadshows. They're at conferences. They're all over the place. We've got to make sure we're justifying the time that we're going to ask of them when we put something in front of them. So, so read sure, through the sure. lines. I'm hearing the right podcast with the right audience. Absolutely. Yep. But you, you have to sort through, yeah. you know, find, I don't know if it's needles in a haystack, but be, because I mean, the, the nature of podcasting or YouTube or social media is that, you know, you give me a microphone and I can give me a camera. I have a nice camera now, but, but there's no uh, gatekeeping. Whereas with right. cable TV, ultimately there's only whatever, five or 10 channels that really cover. Yep financial and investing type stuff. So, you know, it's more like any TV opportunity is going to be perceived probably as a good opportunity. Whereas with podcasts, I get it. You're going to be way more, um, you know, discriminating. Like you, you, yeah, you need like to the, for podcasts, the, the gatekeeper is the marketplace and are people engaging with that podcast? If they are, it's worth a closer look. If they're not, it's, it's probably not. Um, and you know, you need to look at their history. How many shows have they done? Has it been nine months since they did the last one? It's probably not what you want to spend time on. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it, it really, it involves that kind of research. And again, I feel like I'm a broken record at this point, but will they help you reach your audience? Do they have that kind of reach into the community you're trying to connect with? If it looks like they do, 
generally we'll say, give it a closer look. Got it. Okay. And we're, we're short on time, but I want to ask, I want to give you the opportunity, you know, if there's one channel we've talked, we've talked about TV, we've talked about podcasts. I mean, I love email. I don't need to ask about it. I'll just tell everybody right now, email newsletters are the bee's knees, but, um, are there any channels that you're very bullish on that you think like this channel punches above its weight in terms of, you know, how the value is perceived versus what we see with the results it gets? You know, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, I, I keep coming back to the fact that just philosophically, we are very omni-channel here. So I, I almost wouldn't want to wed myself to one particular type of media and say, this is it, if you were to pick one, because I really wouldn't recommend people just pick one. Um, you know, I think it really does, you know, with the way that people are these days, with the short attention spans, with the so many different places and ways that they're being bombarded with messaging, it's really in firms' best interests to start by casting a bit of a broader net. And then you kind of test, you test and see what's working. You look and see, okay, we did this podcast. We got these kinds of results, this kind of feedback. We were in Barron's. We saw this kind of increase to our web traffic. We did, you know, TD Ameritrade's network streaming show. We saw this. We were on, you know, public.com's live drop-ins, talking to the retail audience. And, and you, you try different things. You work with a firm that understands what some of these options are and how they might benefit you or which ones to avoid. And you, you just, you build and you constantly enhance a broader plan. So I know that's a cop-out, 100% non-answer to your question, but did you see how I did that? Because I pivoted from a question I didn't you really- stayed on message. You stayed, I stayed on message. <laughs> so there's a nice callback for you for about 20, 25 minutes ago in our conversation. I, I love it. I love it, Chris. And I love, I love the, the self-awareness to call yourself out, but you know what? I, I think this is a story within a story, right? You're staying on message, craft and capital. Who are you? How do you think? What's, what's your unique way of doing things? Mm -hmm. Returning to that, I mean, I, I can hardly argue with that. And if you had to, if, if, if anybody here gave you the, the, the hot tip, I guess it was me. Uh, from my standpoint, I'm not a communications professional, but email. Email, email, email. I always love email. You'll know you can take email from my cold dead hands because I think it's the it's the perennial channel that I just can't quit. Um, Chris, this has been I you know for me really enlightening just to hear about your process and your strategy. I can tell you're a very strategic thinker, which I love. You know, I, I love strategy, and I know we have a lot of financial professionals and asset managers who listen to the show. So, where can our audience go to learn more about Craft and Capital? They can go to our still relatively brand new website, which is craftandcapital.com, all spelled out one word. And yeah, we're always happy to connect with people and, and share our thoughts on what they're doing and how we might be able to help and happy to connect with people because we, we really like what we do and we really like finding interesting people who we think that we can help take to the next level. So I very much appreciate the time today. This was great. Feel like we we just scratched the surface but i think we covered a lot of good ground absolutely chris thanks again for joining the show today thank you i appreciate it that's it for today's show if you enjoyed this episode please consider leaving us a rating and review 
to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.